Hello, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm Ravi Balakrishnan, the Chief European Economist. And with me here today, I have Alan Banks, our Chief UK Economist, and Francis Diamond, our Head of Eurocash UK and Global Inflation Strategy. We are here basically to reflect on the UK autumn statement that came out last Wednesday and give some, some of our thoughts on some of the key issues. Uh, before taking a deeper dive, let's get an overall view from Alan and Francis as to how they saw the statement relative to their expectations. So first, Alan, how did the statement line up in economic and fiscal terms relative to your expectations? Um, well, there were certainly expectations that we would get some fiscal ease and tax cuts going in for the autumn statement. So I suppose mm -hmm. that part wasn't a surprise. Um, I mean, certainly there was this extra fiscal headroom that appeared because we've had high inflation for a long time, but it started to become more domestically generated. That has benefits in terms of pushing up wage growth. A lot of tax receipts are uh, leveraged off of wage growth. So we had this kind of fiscal headroom, and that's how much um, uh, you know easing can take place whilst meeting the fiscal rules. That increased 0.2% to 0.9%. And I guess I had assumed that they would spend 5 to 10 billion of that, so that's 0.2%. And it came in double. So it was really the magnitude of the easing uh, that was the, the surprise. I suppose given inflation is quite high, some people had assumed that this headroom would be spent later on next year, maybe at the spring budget, um, when inflation will probably be lower. But the surprise was that the, the Chancellor decided to do more of that uh, up front. And I, I think that's probably led to some speculation that, you know, does this indicate that we could have an early election next year? I'm still sceptical that, that will happen in the first half. Thank you, Alan. We'll come back on to the inflation point you mentioned a little bit later in this conversation. But let me turn now to Francis and get his sense of the overall market reaction to maybe the surprises Alan mentioned it and other elements of the of the statement. Yeah, so if you look at it on the day, we did get a sell-off in yield. So we had sort of 10 basis points in one year, one year, Sonia rates, um, definitely driven by a combination of the large and expected fiscal ease. But I think also we have to bear in mind we did see some curve steepening as a function of the fact that there was a remit. Obviously, it comes out with the issuance of revisions. And I didn't see uh, any real significant changes to go issuance, whereas I think the market expected some form of downward revision there. And I think it's probably worth bearing in mind the context in terms of the week before the statement came out, the front end of the curve was pricing a 25 base point cut from the BUE by the middle of the next year and about 75 basis points of easing by the end of next year. Um, if we look at where we are today after last week's autumn statement, that's more like nine basis points of cuts by the end of next year and, and 55 by the end of 24. So I think the repricing is not just reflective of what we saw in the fiscal uh, revisions, but also um, the fact we've had a, a little bit more strength in the PMIs, we've had some hawkish MPC commentary pushing back on the start of, of BUE easing. And I wouldn't really read what we saw last week in terms of market moves as sort of concerns around inflation implications from, from the fiscal delivery, um, as really the pricing of hikes for the first quarter next year has remained very limited, around about five or six basis points. Okay, so no real major concerns on the inflation front so far from the statement. Um, maybe, Alan, we can turn to some of the actual details of some of the measures you mentioned, obviously, is maybe a little bit more than, than maybe um, we'd previously expected. What did you make of the the cut to national insurance contributions, the full expensing of planet machinery investment, and the measures to deal with sickness and um, 
in activity. Uh, do you think they'll move the needle much on supply? Um, or will, say, for example, the national insurance cut simply just raise demand? And just walk us through how, how it's impacted your, your thinking on growth. Yeah, so I think the 2% cut to national insurance tax for employees was the big measure. That has the clearest upfront impact. It's effective from early next year. Uh, and it did prompt me to take up the growth forecast for next year by 0.2%. So the other measures that you mentioned will also add to demand, but over a, a longer period of time, a couple of years or, or longer. Um, but will they boost supply? So that's the big question. Um, does cutting income tax boost labour supply? Does, you know, uh, essentially cutting business taxes boost uh, business investment? We've been here before and it hasn't really done so. Um, I think perhaps the underlying issue here is that we've had the Brexit shock. That's been responsible. Not the only impact, but it's certainly been a key factor which has weakened supply and nobody's talking about reversing that. So I think these tax cuts, yes, they will have some impact, but for me, I'm a little bit skeptical that they're going to have a, a you know a significant supply impact. That being said, if you look at the OBR's assessment, I think they've been a little bit more sort of generous in terms of the way they've uh, penciled in the supply response to those policy measures. And I think they concluded that the net demand impact, so demand relative to supply from this budget and from the from the autumn statement measures is close to 0.1%, which is pretty small. So from an inflation perspective, if you believe that, uh, it would suggest it's not going to add too much to inflation. Thanks, Alan. And maybe, you know, thinking about the spending side, which really wasn't, there weren't any measures on, on it, additional measures this time around. What about... You know, we've heard lots of commentary that focusing on, on the tax cuts and allowing for a significant reduction to continue in real government spending. You know, think about the problems in the NHS, overflowing prisons, ETC. Uh, what's your view on on what we what we read that are we in for another period of austerity or are there real material efficiency gains which can offset these real cuts in government spending? What's your view on that? Um, well, in terms of efficiency gains and benefits in that space which could maybe limit the impact of, of this in terms of the way it's felt we've had various initiatives for the past 10 or 15 years trying to find these efficiency savings so i would say for a lot of departments their budgets are already very lean and i think there is going to be limits as to how much they can be squeezed uh further so i think you've already had some that have looked at this and said the, the, these cuts to public spending in real terms is for the next few years, when you actually get to that moment in time, is it really going to be possible or feasible for the government of the day to be able to pass those through? So I think you can be skeptical uh, about that. But yes, it's I, I guess you could label it as a form of austerity if it did go through. Does it make a difference that this is, I mean, these government departments are fixed you know, their, their budgets are fixed in nominal terms or in some cases increasing in, in nominal terms. So does it make a difference that this austerity is coming via inflation, via the back door? Does that make it easier to squeeze through versus pure nominal cuts and, and spending? Um, that's a, a debate we could have. So maybe that's one difference from what we saw in, in prior years, but uh, it's still going to be pretty tough if, if these plans are anything close to uh, correct and, and, and what happens as, as we look forward.
Thank you, Alan. Um, just to pick up on one point, you mentioned that if these um, freezes and nominative stick, it sounds like you're a bit sceptical of the ability to make them stick. Would that be fair? Or... Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to forecast that things will be different in five years' time, or you know, three to five years' time. But as we've seen in the past, when it gets to that moment in time, it, it's politically very difficult um, to squeeze some of these uh, restraints through. I suppose you, 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 you could say, though, that given that we do have an election next year, if you are, if you're the government, you are going to squeeze through public spending cuts. It's probably easy to do it just after you've been elected. Um, closer to an election, it becomes a lot harder. Thank you. Francis, turning back to you, um, I mean, you alluded to this a little bit earlier and, and talked about it very briefly. Can you maybe expand on how you see the statement affecting debt issuance and your yield forecast? Is there any, any material change? Yeah, sure. So I think you've definitely had a market in the UK that's been focused on issuance this year. It's, it's been running at a very high number in terms of historically, and also you have BOEQT in the background. So I think there was always a bit of an expectation running into this autumn statement. There were going to be some modest reduction in the borrowing requirements. I think the market was expecting a bit of reduction in guilt issuance. So we did actually see an overall reduction of about 10.5 billion in the financing requirement. But this was all um, delivered through reducing bill sales um, by 10 billion and only a very small reduction in guilt sales. So that basically leaves guilt issuance for this fiscal year pretty much unchanged where we were in March, which is just under 240 billion. So I think the market focus here has always been a little bit in terms of these are large absolute numbers. Um, and as we look forward into next fiscal year, and we take the current OBR forecast for the deficit, we're going to probably see guilt issuance actually rising to about 250 billion. Um, so significantly um, elevated levels for a second year running. And when we think about the impact here in terms of how markets focus on the, the net amount of guilt once you remove redemptions and QT sales, we're still hovering around the 130, 140 billion mark. Um, and this is this is multi-decade high levels of, of net issuance. So it does mean I think markets will a first of all focus on how we we sort of see any any sort of budget setups uh, in March. Um, do we get any sort of tinkering around those forecasts? But probably the big picture still here is for very elevated levels of net issuance, which whilst not the main driver of yields, I think is still relevant in an environment where there is concerns around term premiums, concerns around where the marginal buyer sits. It's not our main driver for our guilt forecast mode, so that's conditional on where we think Bank of England and how we see the evolution over time of, of Bank of England policy. But I think this level of excessive uh, net guilt issuance can keep UK yield curve steep. Um, so we think we're probably looking at an environment where long-end yields are are still relatively steep compared to the front end, even if we see intermediate yields drifting lower as markets focus more and start to be a easing. So we target 10-year gilts actually by 3.8% by the middle of next year and about 3.45 by the end of next year. So lower year levels than we are here, but that's not really just because of an issuance story, that's because of a BOE expectation story. But we do think that means this issuance backdrop keeps markets focused on supply demand dynamics and we'll keep the curve steep at least in the next couple of quarters okay that's, that's that's very helpful very detailed um maybe let's switch back to a point which you both alluded to which was the impact on inflation and on monetary policy i mean some have obviously raised the point that you're having some kind of fiscal loosening at a time when inflation is high and you're still trying to bring inflation back to target so 
what's your view on the consistency of of this autumn statement with tight monetary policy it seems you don't think it really moves things that much but it'd be good to hear your more detailed thoughts on it first alan and then francis well i, I think i put to, together some rules of thumb and managed to calculate that the fiscal easing in this budget would be equivalent to 10 or 15 basis points of uh, you know, in rate space, what the Bank of England would have to do to offset fiscal easing if it wanted to do so. So I think you know, it's probably not enough to get them to raise rates again, particularly not with other central banks going on hold, the labour markets loosening, etc. But you would look at that and say it's probably enough to make a small difference in terms of the timing of when they can cut rates. You know, we had these expectations that maybe there was going to be a rate cut in the you know, middle of next year or in the first half of next year. Um, I mean, our call is that you won't get a cut until late next year. And I think after seeing the autumn statement, it's certainly increased confidence of, you know, this easing being backloaded in 2024. And certainly that does seem to be consistent with the, uh, you know, policy commentary we had from the Bank of England before the autumn statement, they were already uncomfortable with this idea that you could see lower rates, you know, sort of mid mid next year. So it all seems to be pushing in the same direction. Thank you, Alan. So Francis, what's your take and how do you, you view the market um, expectations regarding this? I mean, people always are going to look back to this time last year and trust a mini budget that sort of started a, a period of upheaval and volatility in UK rate space. But I think it's difficult to draw direct comparisons when we've seen A, a relatively small amount of fiscal easing this time after last year. B, you've got a reasonable amount of tighter policy already through the system in terms of where the BOEs put rates. And so I think to Alan's point, the markets here are really now focused on the timing of easing rather than a sense that we're sort of throwing back to where we were last autumn and a sort of unfunded tax cuts sort of work, particularly in a backdrop of declining core inflation, albeit sticky. So I think the way we see this is it, it gives you a difference in the way in which you should think about the timing of easing and where it's priced relative to, say, the Fed or the ECB, where the inflation path uh, in the UK is obviously stickier, and it's less obvious you're going to have quite the same degree of modest fiscal support, particularly in the US in the run-up to an election year. So I think the sense we see here is it, it, it shifts the timing. Um, and markets are reflecting that. Markets have the, the start of easing price later for the Bank of England compared to the ECB or the Fed. Um, and we think that's the way to think about this dynamic for now, um, probably against a backdrop where the ability for markets to significantly price hikes when the global environment is about... Um, sort of some form of soft landing is probably still constrained even in the UK. Okay, so, so far, nothing too, um, nothing too major. Um, maybe let's talk about the issue of fiscal headroom and actual fiscal headroom versus what the OBR estimates. Um, it, as Alan, you've, you've written on this on many occasions that our GDP growth forecasts, particularly the medium term, are significantly lower than the OBR. Um, we have potential at 0.7 there, but at 1.6 now. How how does that affect your view on actual fiscal headroom? Is it truly there? Is it is it is it illusory? Um, will the hands of the next government be be significantly tied? What's your what's your thinking? I mean, the first thing to say is, as you pointed out, is that 
the public finances projections would look a lot worse if they if the OBR used not just our growth forecast, but the Bank of England's or you know, many other uh, economists. So in that sense, you would say there's there's really not as much room to be easing fiscal policy as has been presented uh, on the surface here. Um, and that probably does constrain the room for you know, the next government. That being said, though, a lot of this does depend on how the fiscal rules are defined. And, you know, the, the current rule that's used is a, a five year rolling window for the deficit and for the uh, for the debt ratio. So, you know, you might be constrained if growth continues to disappoint, the deficit will continue to be higher than expected eventually. And then the debt ratio will probably keep on rising for longer than is in the current projections. So that's the downside. Um, but because you've got this rolling five year window, those five years never come because every year that you do a new budget, you just push the horizon on one extra year. And that affords you some new space to just project that you will do some tightening in the future. And provided that's credible, you can uh, manage to ease a little bit more today. So I think there is maybe a question about the uh, the credibility of the fiscal rules and whether they're appropriate for governments that want to continue to uh, to operate in this way and, and ease policy. No, that's an important point about the about the rolling window. Um, maybe one final question for both of you. Given all that we've discussed about this autumn statement, how do you think it sets it sets things up for the uh, twenty twenty four budget? Any thoughts, big ticket thoughts of what we could expect or what we may not get given what we've had in this autumn statement? I mean, the fact that we've had a lot of easing up front unless something changes means that there's less headroom to spend for the budget next year. There's still some headroom there. I think it's about 0.4% of GDP. So you could still get some easing. That would be my expectation. But certainly is there room to do another you know, big dollop of easing that we had last week? Again, it's looking a little bit harder this time around. I suppose if you're the government, you've seen this high inflation issue, very strong wage growth, strong profit growth, bringing in tax receipts. That's opened up a little bit more room who knows if we get sticker inflation looking forward and it's still domestically generated then that could open up a little bit more space that maybe some people aren't expecting at this stage but you probably would need to see something along those lines happen uh, to get another big fiscal easing i guess for the spring budget for next year and what what do you, what do you think um um francis given uh, your view on, on markets also what you hear from um clients I think I broadly agree with Alan in terms of it seems difficult you're going to see a significant ability to ease in a way that is going to either force markets to think about pricing hikes. I mean, don't forget, come the March budget, headline and core inflation will roll lower still. Um, I think, again, the issuance side is always a little bit difficult to be particularly clear on up front, but I think it's still going to be a, a concept here of higher issuance for longer. And I think also markets probably um, come the, the budget next year will also have one eye in terms of what the new administration could look like post-election. So it may well mean, particularly on the issuance side, we do have a bit more uncertainty in terms of what could be delivered next spring compared to then what we might see when a new administration comes in later in the year. Um, so I think markets probably shouldn't be massively surprised. Probably there isn't scope for that. Uh, but it could well mean that things, particularly from a, an issuance standpoint, could look a little bit different as we roll through into a, a new administration post-election. Thank you, Francis. I guess it's possible that the 
uh, depending when the election is, right, that the new administration could come in in early 2025, right? yes. not just like 2024. But on, on that note, let me thank everybody for listening. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read JP Morgan, JP Morgan Research Reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Co. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on November 27th, 2023.